Hey guys, it is Friday, March 16th, 2018, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelike, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, car whatever, and uh, yeah. So th- we had the Geneva Auto Show. Uh, that wrapped up, uh, well, technically I think public show ended this week. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit about the news that kind of unfolded last week into this week. Um, there's some cool hybrid powered vehicles there's some cool gasoline powered vehicles there's some good evs obviously a lot of them are european focused but there's a couple that might make their way here to the u.s so we'll kind of chit chat about those second up some of the third wheel options and some different segments that have kind of come to mind to me as of late Um, there's a few interesting choices to be made out there these days and uh, although they might not be the headlining ones maybe they could deserve a quick look and then last up kind of going along with the theme of the third wheel option, uh, a car that's been on my mind, the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. It's the top selling crossover in the UK and I think most of Europe right now. Uh, We're finally getting them in the States and I've seen two of them out on the streets, which seems very strange, but uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Anyway, guys, it's a regular uh, Salvage Shuttle podcast episode for the first time in a little while, so come back after the bump we'll talk about the geneva auto show so aside from the insane supercar announcements that were uh, brought up at geneva this year you know 300 mile per hour hennessy's uh crazy special edition bugatti chiron's uh, you know, active aero, electric vehicles. Uh, there were a couple of interesting cars that look like they're going to be making it to production in the not-too-distant future, or at least have been slated for production, that I definitely think are worth some of the attention. But uh, before we get into all those other details, there are some more strange things to also announce from Geneva, or that were announced at Geneva. Uh, one is that the Lagonda brand is coming back uh, for Aston Martin. Um, they've been toying with the Lagonda brand for a while. If uh, memory serves, they did a special edition Lagonda just for uh, the Emirates and uh, Middle Eastern market not that long ago. Uh, it was a redone version of the Rapide sedan. Uh, this new Lagonda is appearing to be, well, a completely autonomous vehicle. Um, If it did have a driver, I'm not quite sure how they're driving it, uh, but it's a luxury space basically for two people. It's got a fully wool interior with a lot of technology baked in for you to do, I assume, conference calls and business deals and many other things that only rich people can dream of doing inside the back of a fully autonomous vehicle. Um, Or or not Mercedes, but uh, the Aston Martin brand seems to think that this Lagonda is going to be able to be sold in the next four years or so. Um, The autonomy thing, I think, will definitely be something where you're going to need to pull our expectations back on just a little bit. Uh, We're still quite a ways away from having a fleet of uh, fully autonomous vehicles driving people around here and fro. But uh, yeah, visually, what a beautiful car. Uh, This is the first time in a long time that I've really felt like we've had a truly conceptual vehicle shown off at a major auto show uh it just concepts lately just haven't really been future thinking and future forward and you know something that seems obviously not quite realistic uh and you know maybe that's a sign of where things are going uh the luxury market is flooded with interesting ideas and choices and 
you know, uh, the people who have money have even more of it these days, and uh, the Laganda is no exception, but uh, it's not something we're going to be able to buy quite yet, so maybe we'll have to look more towards some of the other brands for something interesting. Porsche had an interesting vehicle on their display stand at Geneva, and that was the Mission E Cross Touring? Cross something concept? More or less, it's the Mission E sedan uh, from, that we've seen a few years ago that Porsche is inching closer and closer to production. Uh, but this time with a little bit more of a hatchback body style, more of maybe even a shooting brake body style. Um, but it also had a slightly uh, raised up suspension and a pretty trick four-wheel drive system that's based on uh, what the concept or production version of the car uh, will eventually have. Um, if we're thinking outside of the box here, uh, you, there's, well, not that much that's outside of the box. This looks like a Porsche that's ready to be purchased in the not-too-distant future. Um, if you haven't been paying attention to the Mission E, uh, the best way I could describe it is it looks like a Panamera, slightly slimmed down, um, just with all-electric power. Um, Porsche and many other German brands are seeking to go fully electric within the next decade or so, and uh, the Mission E will probably be one of the first and arguably one of the better selling uh, electric luxury vehicles. Uh, they really are seeking to take down Tesla with this car, and if I were Tesla, I think I would be a little worried. As much as I do like the Model X and many of their other products, uh, the Mission E kind of sort of, for the most part, covers a lot of what the Model S and the Model X do, and in this case, may end up doing it a little bit better. Uh, when you've got the full force of the Volkswagen Automotive Group behind you, that tends to be what happens. Um, but this new thing is neat. Um, it's a very good-looking car. It looks like it's going to have some legitimate off-road or maybe not necessarily off-road, but all-weather capability um, that not a lot of other EVs have had thus far. Um, these look like they're going to be uh, priced, as you would expect, around $100,000 once they come out. Um, yeah, I mean, these are the luxury vehicles that I think a lot of people are clamoring for, that people who have the capability to adapt this technology, have the money to purchase a $100,000 version. I think the question largely then becomes... Now that they're offering all-wheel drive and a more capable setup, I uh, think, you know, something like a Subaru Outlander, or not Outlander, a Subaru uh, Outback, uh, maybe that's more appealing to folks in snowier climates. We'll see. Um, but definitely one of the more interesting uh, production-ready, quote-unquote, uh, concepts at this show. Staying on the, quote-unquote, concept uh, stages, BMW showed off their concept, in air quotes, uh, M8 sedan, coupe, whatever we want to call it. Um, this is, the, of course, the follow-up to the 8 Series that was announced not that long ago. Uh, the 8 Series being based on the 7, but a coupe body style. Uh, that's kind of the weird way things are working at BMW right now. Uh, this follows in the footsteps of the 8 Series that I grew up with and loved very much of the uh, late 80s and early 90s time frame. Uh, and this kind of, uh, if you're imagining something in your brain, think uh, Mercedes CL, um, so a big S-class size sedan, uh, but with uh, four doors instead of two. Um, but still a coupe-shaped body style. But the, the attention's going to the M branding on the car, and this thing looks to be quite aggressive. Sounds like it's going to have the 
well, not really big, but big power uh, twin-turbo V8 from the M5. Um, could it have more than that? More than likely, yes. Uh, but it's very aggressively styled. Looks like it's going to have the active suspension and many other fine features that the M brand seems to be uh, bringing to their vehicles as of late. I think the big question for me is with an M car this size, what kind of actual cornering performance are we going to get? Uh, what kind of actual straight line performance are we going to get? Obviously, BMW knows how to warp our sensibilities of, uh, well, physics in general, especially with this new all-wheel drive 600 plus horsepower M5 that's coming out this year. Um, these cars are going zero to 60 in, you know, the high two second range. Uh, we're starting to hit adhesion limits with uh, tires and four wheel drive systems. Uh, so I imagine this car is no exception. Um, I think the big question for me as somebody who likes BMW products but doesn't like them as much as what I did 10 or 15 years ago, uh, it's whether or not BMW can get the uh, feeling of the uh, steering wheel back. Um, it's something that they've been struggling with on the lower series M cars. Uh, the M2 seems to be kind of exempt from that as it's more of a pure quote-unquote driving space. Uh, the M3 and M4, however, have needed a lot of work, and it seems like the new uh, tuned-up uh, racetrack or track-oriented versions of the cars have benefited from some more attention. So it being an 8 series, I'm willing to bet they're going to let some things go, um, but more or less... Twin turbo V8, four wheel drive, zero to 60, probably in the mid low three second range. I don't know if it'll break 2.9, uh, but this is going to be one fast Autobahn missile. So, for something a little more production ready, Mercedes showed off the AMG GT four door production bottle. Um, there's going to be many different flavors of the AMG GT. Um, you know, obviously the AMG 63 version is going to be a known commodity uh, with the twin turbo hot V configuration, uh, a bazillion horsepower, uh, the thunderous uh, sound coming from the exhaust. Um, those are going to be great cars. Everybody knows that. Uh, the AMG formula is going to work really well there. It's going to be the uh, 43 and 53 models that I think are going to be more interesting. Now, I don't remember specifically if this new AMG GT uh, four-door is going to get the 43 treatment, but I believe it is getting the 53. And the uh, 53 really cranks up the production interest for me just because it's got that twin turbo straight six. It's got the electric assist on the turbo and I think through the gearbox as well. Um, it's kind of the green high-performance technology that really is going to be driving a lot of automakers in the near future. And uh, this is definitely a clear first step for a lot of brands. Um, what also is cool about these is that they're somewhat attainable. And I know that sounds very strange, but the 43 and 53 models are not priced as aggressively as what I would have thought. Um, AMG certainly has ran away with the performance end of the German sedan market. Uh, as much as I like the RS or the SRS versions of the Audis, uh, they don't seem to have the same uh, oomph as the AMG models do. And as I just mentioned about BMW, the M series models have kind of lost their uh, place in the world. And yes, that's been fixed on at least one model. Uh, it hasn't been fixed on all of them. So AMG, just like their Formula One performance, uh, they are just leading the way when it comes to the German performance sedans. And I fully expect that the GT four-door is no different. 
I just wish they would call it something else. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to call it the AMG GT four-door. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, yes, it draws a distinction from the regular AMG GT two-door performance sedan, or coupe, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just a mess. I just wish automakers, specifically German automakers, would figure out what the hell they're doing uh, with naming things. This is just annoying. Uh, but yes, beautiful car. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be prohibitively expensive, but less expensive than you might think in certain trims. Uh, but yeah, really freaking cool. Last up, a little bit of a callback to a story I've discussed in a previous episode of the Salvage Shuttle podcast. Uh, Peugeot, a member of the PSA Alliance. Uh, Peugeot is, of course, trying to come to the United States. And uh, they showed off a brand new vehicle in Geneva this year. Uh, It's the 508 GT sedan. Uh, More or less, this is, would be a competitor to like a Mazda 6, a Honda Accord. Um, It's a nice uh, family-sized vehicle, but it's got some of that coupe styling that's the new trend for literally everything uh, right now. Uh, But where the 508 uh, really gets me is on, well, just style both outside and inside. This is a beautiful car. This is a return to French excellence when it comes to design and execution. And my God, am I impressed. And if Peugeot is thinking of coming to the United States, whether it is ends up being Peugeot or Citroën, this seems to be the kind of car that they are going to need to come into the market and do well. Um, as far as design elements that stand out, you know, the coupe-like styling is great. It's got a angled front and rear that is unlike anything I've seen. Uh, there are beautiful, just dripping lights off the front for the headlights. The rear tail lights wrap around in this way that's almost Porsche-like uh, in its design and execution. On the inside, you can definitely tell that they have definitely taken some notes from Porsche. Uh, The center console uh, rises up very steeply and quite high, and it kind of wraps you in this this space in both the uh, driver and passenger seat. Um, It's got a big shifter, kind of like the Panamera that jets out, that you fully grab to engage uh, the different gears. And then it rises to this uh, 10-inch touchscreen dashboard that has these physical toggle switches uh, placed directly below it for you to you know, control different aspects of the car. And these toggle switches are some of the most interestingly designed things that I've seen on an automobile in quite some time. Um, they're not switches like what you'd see in a Mini Cooper where they're tiny and down low and they look like they're something that came off of a bomber in 1943. These are like cut metal, probably actually plastic, pieces that you push down and they're symmetrical and they're, they look like they're chunky and they actually do stuff. And... I'm just impressed. Uh, Peugeot, if you're listening, if anybody's listening, uh, this is the kind of car you need to come to the United States. I hope the 508 is it. A 205 horsepower turbocharged family sedan is perfect. It lines up with everything. Do it. Do it for less than $35,000. You'll sell a few. Uh, Talk to us, Peugeot. Make it happen. And now a little bit about some of the third wheel, the third outside choice 
vehicles. Uh, you know, in when I do the salvage title car buyer's guide episodes, I always like to include a fourth option in that case, uh, where it's a car that maybe does something a little bit differently, uh, is designed a little bit differently, acts a little bit differently, caters to a different crowd uh, that's worth your attention. And uh, the segment is, well, it's weird. You know, the, the good thing about where cars are at these days is that there are almost too many good choices. And when there is a vehicle that maybe isn't the best choice or isn't the most obvious choice, um, that still doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad choice. They're just choosing to do things a little bit differently. So I figured we'd take a moment to talk about a couple of different options in a few different segments that maybe do things a little bit differently, come from very different companies, um, but are still worth some of your attention. Um, so first up, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross. Now, there is an awful lot that can be said about the Eclipse Cross, at least in terms of history of the brand that they're associating with this crossover uh, that's new for 2018. Uh, the Eclipse, of course, is the long-standing uh, performance coupe that once uh, was in the driveways of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people all across the world. I don't know how many they actually ended up selling. Um, but Mitsubishi dragged the Eclipse name out of its grave, uh, gave it a shot of adrenaline, and brought it back to life. And it turns out it's a crossover now. Um, the Eclipse Cross, though, I think is somewhat of an interesting vehicle just because it is different. Um, it is of course, going into the small end of the crossover market, which is flooded with a number of interesting and rather good choices uh, for your money. Uh, for about $25,000, you're getting a somewhat sporty crossover. Um, it's got a 160 horsepower turbocharged engine that uh, is mated to a four-wheel drive system. Unfortunately, it is fed through a CVT transmission, which is, of course, the bane of anyone's existence. Uh, the out or not necessarily Outlander, but it's kind of a Outlander replacement at least for now. Uh, the Eclipse Cross has well the most modern appointments of really any Mitsubishi vehicle that's on sale right now. Um, there is uh, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay compatibility on its seven-inch touchscreen. It's got a fairly modern design inside that also includes what they're calling a. Uh, one-to-one -one touch interface on the uh, center console between the driver and passenger seat that uh, lets you use the touch screen without actually touching the touch screen. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, but uh, it seems like it's a car that is really targeting a very specific market, but I'm not quite sure what that market is. Um, after all, I think it's a very good-looking crossover, uh, which can always be said for a lot of its competitors. Uh, the interior, I think, needs to get some more material work improved on it. But overall, for twenty-five grand, you are getting a lot of uh, technology for the money. You are getting a fairly confident, or confident, cushy ride that I think is somewhat lost in this segment for the most part. Um, but I just don't know if it's necessarily the choice that you want to make. Um, if you wanted a more refreshing, somewhat coupe-styled crossover that's about the same size for about the same amount of money, that'll probably hold its value even a little bit better. I think the Hyundai Kona is a better choice, but I think even the Kona itself would be a candidate for first or second place in this continually growing segment. Another vehicle, a third-wheel vehicle worth attention, is the new Buick Regal 
Sportback. Uh, it's the hatchback variant of the Buick Regal body sedan, which is based on the Opel Insignia uh, that was designed and engineered in Germany, and I believe they're all built in Germany as well. Uh, this car can be seen uh, all across the world, uh, whether it's in Central Europe, uh, the UK as a Vauxhall, uh, down in Australia as the Commodore, or in China also labeled as a Buick Regal. Uh, this car is a car that was designed to be good in all markets, and as such, has a wide variety of trims and body styles uh, that suit your needs. Uh, here in the U.S., the Regal only comes as the uh, liftback hatchback model. Uh, it's not to say that it actually has a hatchback body style. More or less, it's a traditional sedan style with a liftback uh, trunk that includes the window. It's a full lifting operation. They also make the Tour X model, which is, uh, well, it's a wagon. It's the first American mid-size, full-size, whatever you want to call it, wagon that we've had in what feels like 20 years. It's been quite a long time. I want to say the Ford Taurus was one of the last ones that we had uh, for sale here in the U.S. Uh, the Buick Regal is really a revelation, and it's sad because it was made by Opel, a brand that has not been doing well in Europe, um, a brand that GM really kind of leaned on really hard over the past 20 or 30 years for engineering and design expertise. And as things were getting to be their darkest, uh, Opel put this vehicle out on a chassis, the E2XX chassis, that is renowned for its uh, sporting capabilities. And really, when the attention is given to it, uh, these cars can be really good vehicles that are just, you know, maybe not the leading option in every single category but just overall just a really good car and you know opal did this and then gm announced you know not even six months later oh by the way we're selling opal to psa uh that would be peugeot and citroen so opal's now in that family and this is now technically a french car built in germany but made for the united states and also china and it's just this international fair that has turned out a very good vehicle and the even better part Base trim models that include all the niceties you'd want in an entry-level luxury vehicle, $25,000. $25,000 before the inevitable incentives that GM always throws on all of their vehicles. You can get a turbocharged inline four with 250 horsepower with an eight, or excuse me, a nine-speed automatic. It gets over 30 miles per gallon on the highway. It looks really great. It's got some, you know, fantastic design lines inside and out. What a great car. Definitely a third wheel option worth a look. So last up, the Toyota Corolla IM, formerly the Scion IM, which is sold in Europe as the Oris, uh, which is kind of a Corolla, but kind of not. Uh, the Toyota Corolla IM here, uh, it's a youth-marketed uh, hatchback, almost a wagon-like version of the Corolla, um, that adapts some of the Corolla mechanical bits, so the 1.8 liter, engine that's been around quite seemingly forever. Um, it's got a CVT gearbox. In most versions of the vehicle, you can get a six-speed manual if you want. Uh, it's a car that is full of compromises, and maybe that's why it belongs as a third-wheel option. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. It's a car that I really like for a multitude of reasons and also would never buy for a multitude of reasons. Uh, at least on the good end of things, I think it's a car that's styled very well. It's neither overly boxy nor overly round. It's uh, very European in its design and execution, both outside and inside. Uh, there's plenty of soft-touch materials. Uh, there's plenty of seat space for both the driver and passenger. There's plenty of space in the rear seats. The boot is actually usable, which is wonderful. Um... You know, the, the suspension tuning itself was done with a European market in mind, so you've got a dual wishbone set up on all four corners, which is very sport-capable, but then Toyota goes about tuning the car to be very soft and cushy and equips it with low rolling resistance tires, which don't exactly add to the sporting credentials of the car. It'll take a corner, but it'll also complain the entire time while you're doing it, even though its overall design means that it shouldn't. It's unfortunate. Uh, the list of options on the car are pretty healthy uh, when it comes to standard equipment. Um, that's always a good thing. There's not many things you can actually choose for the car. But if you do get the upgraded infotainment system, you're saddled with Toyota's horrible Entune ecosystem that has to pair with your phone and limits you to just a handful of apps. It's not Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Toyota's fixing it. They're saying that people are demanding Apple CarPlay at the very least from them. Uh, it sucks it's not going to be more things besides that. Uh, but it sounds like those options are only going to be going on certain cars to begin with. And I'm willing to bet that the uh, IM won't do it until we get the all-new Aorus, if we get the all-new Aorus, uh, which was announced in Geneva. That car, again, just like the IM, a good balance of style and design. It's not overly Toyota. It's European Toyota, which is still very attractive. Um... Hopefully we see it here. Hopefully we see it with a small turbocharged engine. Hopefully they still offer a stick. I think this is a car that Toyota continue to experiment with and make it very good. And it's still a third wheel option. Even if I would rather have the Honda Civic hatchback myself, I could see a world in which I would buy this too. So last up, a car that's been in my mind, and that is the Mitsubishi Outlander Plug-in Hybrid Electric Vehicle, or PHEV. Mitsubishi claims that this is the top-selling plug-in hybrid electric vehicle in the world. It has been one of the best-selling plug-in vehicles, at least in the UK, I know for sure, and in many parts of Europe for quite some time. Um, if you're familiar with the Outlander, it is Mitsubishi's mid-size crossover uh, that was refreshed a few years ago to better align itself with uh, competitors like the Nissan Rogue, the Honda CR-V, uh, the Chevrolet Equinox, and many others. Uh, I would say the Outlander is probably closer to the size of the Nissan Rogue, but it lacks the third row seats. More or less, you've got seating for five in the uh, Outlander PHEV, um, which is more than enough. It can also tow 1,500 pounds, which is pretty good. Not all hybrids can do that. It's got 22 miles of electric range when it's running solely on the battery power, um, which is pretty good. Um, it's got a 10-year, 10,000-mile warranty on a many different things, and it comes with a slew of standard features that you'd expect for, well, what should be on all vehicles. Um, at 35 grand, that seems like a pretty good deal, and that is until you start to think about what kind of things you're getting when you get a Mitsubishi. Build quality is good. It's not great. It's not quite as good as what a Honda or Toyota is going to be, but then again, it's not like it's as bad as a Fiat or anything like that. Uh, you do have a dealer network that exists, but it's not exactly a robust dealer network anymore, not like what it was 
uh, in the mid to late 90s, you've got uh, a reliability and, uh, you know, kind of reputation for quality that doesn't lend well to the long-standing value of the vehicle. Uh, so that definitely means that if you're buying one of these, it's going to depreciate pretty quickly. But on the used market, if somebody has one of these, does a short two-year lease and turns it in, you're going to be getting a pretty good deal. Um, and as somebody who's in the market for hybrids and plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, I have to admit, to some extent, this makes a lot of sense. Um, I definitely want to check one out. I, I have only seen one in person a couple of times. I've only seen two on the road. Uh, I, I came by one at an auto show, and I came away fairly impressed. Uh, it makes sense as to why this is the top-selling plug-in hybrid electric vehicle all across the world. Does it mean it's the best one? Definitely not. But as one of the only SUV options that accomplish this, uh, not a bad way to go. So... Guys, if you're looking for a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle and you need a little more space, and obviously you might not be ready for the Tesla Model X, maybe, possibly, the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid electric vehicle is worth it for you. Alright guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast for March 16th, 2018. As always, you can follow more episodes of the Salvage Title Podcast here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N or follow us through the Anchor FM app. Uh, you can also find more episodes of this podcast in the Apple iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, uh, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, many other podcasting platforms, wherever podcasts are sold. I make these free available to everyone. If you know somebody in your life who's into cars, who wants to hear some crazy person from West Michigan ramble about automobiles for up to a half hour to an hour, uh, this would be a good place to do it. I do another version of the show called the Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guide, where I like to talk about a particular segment of vehicles, pick the top three choices that I think are most relevant uh, for people's choices, and then add a fourth vehicle for flavor. That fourth vehicle might be something like the third wheel options that I mentioned, where they do something different, they do something cool, they might not necessarily be the expectation, uh, but they're worth some attention. Uh, I did one not too long ago about pickup trucks. I need to fill that uh, those words out a little bit more, especially now that the new Ram 1500 is out. Uh, that, that segment needs to be rethought. So, yeah. Um, as far as other things go, guys, well, there's not a whole lot going on. Uh, we do have the New York Auto Show coming up very soon. Uh, no real details about what's coming. Some people think the new Altima might be unveiled for Nissan. Uh, there could be some other stuff coming down the pipe. It's hard to say. So we'll know in the not-too-distant future. As far as uh, other car shopping things, at least on a personal note, uh, we are looking at a, well, a Hyundai Ioniq, a hybrid, uh, to replace the uh, Jeep Renegade in our lineup here. So hopefully uh, later today we get a little bit more of an extended drive. We can give you some more thoughts on the Hyundai Ioniq as we do it. So yeah. So that's really about it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for sharing. Uh, we'll see you guys next week or two weeks or whenever this next episode comes out. See you then.